responds with his presence. Now I want to ask you, if you're a first-time visitor here, or if your name's Wayne from Kansas, where are you at, Wayne? <laughs> Wayne, wa- wave at me. I saw. Okay, good. That's, I know they're visitors because Pastor Beniah told me you were. If you're a first-time visitor besides Wayne, let me see your hands. We're going to give you a little packet. If, if, is that all? Okay. Our crowd's really down today. A lot of people are gone. And if you're watching online, and you should be here, shame on you. Get here tonight. And if you're not, and just all over the country, I know that they're in Dallas, uh, Jonna. I know there's people in Houston and Little Rock and Nashville and Kansas City. I know those areas. And in Minneapolis or Minnesota, or I said that, Minnesota, I'm sorry. Uh, all those places, there's people watching. So, And if you're watching online, would you just say, Pastor, I'm with you, so I know I'd love to see that. If you have a need, put it on there, too. Well, you all saying you worship God. Now, will you preach with me? Say, so, yes. How about you all? Okay, thank you. Will you all preach with me? Thank you. Now, let me ask you, if you haven't looked around, Don Shrog, where you at, Don? Wave at, at them. Wave. Don Shrog did all. Isn't this beautiful? It's gorgeous. And he did such a wonderful job. And I want to tell you something that's exciting. And, and, and it's a secret. You can't tell a soul what I'm telling I'm just kidding you. Tomorrow morning, <clears throat> Sticks and Dale, it, you'll notice our screen's a little fuzzy there because they tore it down. Everything's gone. And that's just been painted over and nice. And the scaffolding's right over there that they sat down and took up and sat down. Tomorrow morning, Michael Haygood with the Haygood family has also a big production company. And they're going to be here in the morning. And they're going to put a screen up that's going to look like a TV. It's going to cover that whole middle area. And it's going to be absolutely phenomenal. It's going to be like you're just looking at each other. And it's all going to be put up there. Start tomorrow morning. And then they're going to work as much as they can. Tuesday, they've got a big deal at Big Cedar. And they're coming back Wednesday to finish it. And by, hopefully by next Saturday, even by Ladies' Tea, we're going to have our new big, huge screen up there. Isn't that wonderful? Somebody will be happy for that. I'm telling you, it's going to be fabulous. And I'm looking forward to that, to see what all. God's just got good things planned, doesn't he? Amen? Now, I think I've done all the stuff. I'm supposed to. I think it's time for the Word. How many likes the Word of God? This church is going on its 21st year. I can't hardly believe that. Dale, wave at us way back there. See Dale back over in the corner? The one with a little bit of glare on his head there. Dale and I are very close, and we've joked about it. Every time I see Dale, I say, Dale, take the curlers out of your hair. And it's not out of disrespect. One day I was here, and this place was empty. It was gutted, and it was not nice. None of the things that you see, nothing was in here. It was just a big open hall. There was no glass. There was no nothing. And Dale said, well, where do you want this platform to be? And I literally walked over there, and as you see this outline, he followed me with something. I don't know what he marked it with, but he marked it with chalk or something on this old carpet that was down here, and he and the team built everything that you see here. They built it, and I can tell you, it's solid. 
And Roy's climbed underneath it several times and knows that with all the wiring, so it's put together good. But what God has done, hasn't God been good? And we continue and continue. And I don't know if you know this or not, and this isn't in my notes. Well, I had notes until I did this. This wasn't in my notes, but we had these old, how many remember the old chairs we had when we first moved in here? Uh, that, I don't see any smiles on any faces. We had a combination of three different colors of black and gray chairs that cost at least 20 bucks a piece. <clears throat> and they were old and used when we first came in here from over at the Boys and Girls Club. Um, Barry uh, has had an injury to his ankle, and he's not here, but his boys and him set it up and tore it down for three years. When we brought those old chairs in here, and we did not have, it was awful. We'd, we'd put carpet in. We'd made all this, these old nasty chairs. So I went up to um, a furniture company in Ozark, a friend of mine owns that when I was at Central Assembly in Springfield, um, they did that, and they did a lot of James River work. So I walked into their office there, and I said, I want to buy some chairs. And, boy, they were glad to see me because we was big builders before that, big customers. And he said, how much do you want to spend? I said, I've got about 35 bucks a chair. And he said, well, I think if you run down to Kmart back then, they've got a special. There's a few left down. He said, you can't buy anything for that. And I said, I know, but I just thought I'd check. I said, do you ever have any seconds or are, are slightly damaged or anything. And my friend, they were friends. Uh, Karen looked at me and she said, Pastor, if we had those, we wouldn't be in business. Never in 25 years have we ever seen anything like that. And so Ron said, well, let me just call for your, uh, just to show you. So he called Indianapolis, Indiana that made the chair you're sitting on. And he said, I've got a pastor here. And he started laughing. He said, I'm just, I'm doing this for him. He said, he's just got a little bit of money for these chairs. And he said, um, he wanted to know if you had any seconds or overrides or blemishes or anything. She started laughing. They had tile floors and I could hear her conversation. And she said, well, if that, if we had those very often, we wouldn't be in business. Same thing he said. And I started to walk toward the door. And all of a sudden I heard her say, hold it, just a minute. Now, let me just tell you what God, do you believe God rewards faithfulness? I, I want to tell you something. He rewards, fa he keeps track, he keeps pinpoint track of everything about what you do. Got to the door and she said, hold it. I stopped. And she said, let me just, this just came on my desk, just came on my desk. She said, we have a church in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, I think it was, that ordered chairs, and we have made a huge mistake. We got the wrong code of the color. Their colors are amber um, and fall colors, and the chairs that we sent them are the wrong color, and they are hot, and they're loading them right back up, and they're sending them to us, and we're stuck with these chairs. How many do you want? And I said, I want 450. She said, what color do you want? <clears throat> I said, I'd like to have burgundy with a navy fleck in them. And the lady started laughing and said, well, we have 450 chairs. They're the nicest chairs we make. They're like 150 bucks, 140 bucks a piece, have lumbar backs and trays. And she said, they're burgundy. And she said, would that be okay if, 
if he bought those. And I went, yeah, I still can't afford those. And she said, how much money does he have? Ron said, I think 35, $25 or $35 a chair. She said, sold. And those chairs came to you from God to this house, and they shipped them down here, and we were able to buy them for like $35 a piece, $150 chairs. It was the color and the number we need. Do you think God answers prayers? I'm not, listen, God's not a cash cow or he's not a, he's not a slot machine for me. He's the provider of the righteous. You hear me? He's a provider of the righteous. And he hears the righteous and he answers the righteous and he's faithful to the righteous. He doesn't ever not have his eye on you. He never ever takes his eye off of you. He never doesn't care. He always cares with an enormous amount of love that we cannot begin to comprehend. We can't comprehend. <clears throat> when we reach the limits of everything we are, we're at the very foothills of the mountains of an almighty God that loves us. This morning I want to talk to you about something. And I want to talk about your potential in God. And how you get it. Now, I've had all the self-help messages I can hardly stand. <clears throat> and I really mean that. I've had all of the <clears throat> how you get rich, how you get famous, how you sell books. How you, I'm, 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 I'm telling you, I want something that talks about the character of the one that died for me, Jesus Christ, in my life. I want something that tells me about what it means, the value of being humble. I want something that teaches me the value of being broken before God. I want something that instructs me in how to be Christ-like. Isn't that our goal, to be Christ-like? <clears throat> then what happened? When did we outgrow the boss? Do you know there are no such things as spiritual, religious celebrities in the kingdom of God? There's one. There's one. I was reading scripture the other day, and he said, The Lord is God, and beside him there is none other. <clears throat> Our job is to be like Jesus is. Four of you believe that. How many believe that? Say amen. amen. <clears throat> and our job is not only to be like Jesus, but it's to follow men and women that are called of God that are like Jesus. So how do we get there? How do we find out what's in us and use it for the kingdom of God? Now listen, you, every one of you in here, and this is something some of you will not believe. Some of you online won't believe because you have a poor self-image of yourself as a child of God. But I am going to tell you this, that every human being that accepts Jesus Christ gets a job when they get accepted by Christ and they become a child of God. He puts something in them for, to be useful in the kingdom of God. There are no don't just stand by the wayside, folks. You have a call on your life to some area of service to God. You have a gift that God gives you in you that's a spiritual gift that comes from God in no other source, and it's spiritual in nature, and it has eternal value, and there's nothing on this earth that will satisfy you like the absolute knowledge that you're doing something for the kingdom of God. That is something that has significance in life. Have you ever known anyone famous? I have. I've been blessed to know a lot of really famous people. 
But after, the, after their time's over and done, who are they? I had a friend that was a four-star general in the Air Force. If I'd say his name, many people might know that. But he was talking to me about he created, along with a team of people, a thing called the stealth fighter and the stealth bomber. He was telling me, his, I'll call him Jack because that was his first name, John and Jack. And Jack said to me, I said, what's the radar scope of a stealth bomber or fighter? He said, like a BB, trying to pick up a BB on the radar. What about a stealth bomber, that big B-1 or what it's called? He said, it'd be like a robin flying and them trying to pick up. He said, it's incredible, the technology that he had. Forced our general, former head of strategic air command. And, and after it's all done and all, and all over, he's got memories. But I want to tell you something, as a child of God, when you're a child of God and you get older in the kingdom of God, and I'm getting older in the kingdom of God, I've got more than just memories. I've got some significance in my life to know that God used me in certain areas of my life that affected other people in their life, and there's no one in here that's exempt from that. You are going to be used by God if you'll accept that opportunity God's given you. Now, Dr. Finn, as you know, Dr. James Finn, my bishop is, and my brother-in-law is why, I suppose, but pastored a great church in New York for many years, pastor, president of three Bible colleges, Romania like 50 times, an African all over the world, preached around the world, but he's got these things called Finnisms. Dr. Johnny Minnick, who I serve on his board and Great preacher in Nashville and singer, publishes a magazine, Life Fellowship magazine. Dr. Finn has an article in it every month. And he gives me these Finnisms, and he gave me one the other day. He called me at home. He said, here's a little nugget for you. And that nugget, I said, that nugget is going to be used in my message Sunday morning. I'm like, like Dr. Tim Hill says, if your bullet fits my gun, I'll shoot it. So here it goes. I'm going to shoot Dr. Finn's bullet. He said these words to me, and, and they're so profound, you won't get the fullness of this right off the bat, but I want you to listen to this. You can count the seeds in an apple, but you can't count the apples in a seed. Whoa. Well, there's nothing about the Bible in there. Oh, yes, there is. When you look at the spiritual implications, you can take an apple, and you can count the seed in it. But one of those seeds has the potential to be a tree. And that tree has the potential to bear fruit. And that fruit has the potential to multiply a whole lot. <laughs> Missed my therapy class last Thursday. I'll get it back. What was that word? A lot. You, I don't need your help. Mock me from the platform. You can count the seeds in an apple, but you can't count the apples in a seed. My God, do you know there's a seed in every one of you? Oh, pastor, not me. Oh, yes. Listen to me. I will stand before God for everything I say behind this. And so will every man or woman that ever teaches or preaches. For every prophetic word that's given, for everything that's said, we will answer to God. And I'm, 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 I do everything in my heart to when I stand before God, him not to look at me and say, where'd you hear that? 
Who told you that? And so I filter everything in my heart. God, is this you? Is this from you? God, help me to know that it's from you. And when I see these words, and I, and I see the truth that we have right here in front of us, and I, I know this, that every one of you listening, everyone watching me online, God, when you were saved, you didn't come to Jesus and he goes, now tell me your name. Let's have a little talk. How, 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 how are you? Tell me about your family. Jeremiah and the prophets say that before you were born, he knew you. He said before the earth was created, he knew you. He knew you. This is the omniscience of an almighty God that knows you and created you. And in that creation, he put a seed in your heart that when you come to Jesus Christ, that seed, if you'll let it, begins to take root. And that root has tentacles that grows down. You see, a seed doesn't grow on top till it grows on the bottom. And when the root system takes hold and that seed begins to sprout, there's one thing that's going to happen when it's a seed of God and you're following God, not following yourself or not following some man or following some foolishness, but you're following the Word of God. That seed will bear fruit. If you believe that, say amen. God wants fruit to be in your life. You can count the seed in an apple. But you can't count the apples in a seed. Locked inside each one of us is a seed of potential. The Bible <coughs> teaches us <coughs> about our potential. It's represented as spiritual gifts. In Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, there are seven spiritual gifts lift, listed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 through 10, there are nine spiritual gifts that are listed there is controversy there's always controversy in the word of God the controversy it has to do with these gifts are they still in line in fact there's a sharp break between thought theologically uh, potentially primarily in Pentecostals we believe that the apostolic age when the last apostle died didn't stop the flow of the Holy Spirit amen we believe the Holy Spirit's still active and working. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 and 2, but in 1 when he was giving them the last instruction, I'm going to go to the Father, but I'm sending the Comforter to you. He's going to lead you into all truth and knowledge and wisdom and revelation and help. The Holy Spirit is embodied in us because he's God in us. And when we accepted Jesus Christ, we got the whole package. Your potential is incredible. These two schools of thought are hardly worth mentioning. But there's a school of thought called cessationism, which means that it ceased to exist at the death of the last apostle. Healing, divine healing, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all of the gifts and all these things stopped then. I do not believe that. And I have theology that will back it up, a, a thing called the Bible, and many, many thoughts. There's no question in my mind that the Holy Spirit is still active today. The book of Acts doesn't have an amen in it. It's still working today. The Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of God that's working. And so that brings us to our school of thought, and we, we are considered 
uh, not sensationist, but we, we're believed, and what we believe is called continuationism. And that means there's a continual act of the Holy Spirit. These are doctrines that you study about. And this tells us where we are. It's a continuation of God moving and working in this world today through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the lives of people. So that comes from our salvation, and it comes from a seed that God gives us. And these gifts are in your spirit today. And it's the Holy Spirit that unlocks the potential in your life. And it comes through obedience to God. There, there's no other way. It doesn't come through anything else. He doesn't check your bank account. You don't get an IQ test. He doesn't give you a personality profile. You ever had one of those? My goodness, when I was in the business world, they'd give us personality profiles every day. And I thought, God, I must be schizophrenic. Because this week, I'm this, and this week, I'm this way. And so I went into, I went into the, 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 I wrote a poem Roses are red, violets are blue, I'm schizophrenic, and so am I. Because I didn't know who I was. I mean, last week I'm a lion, this week I'm a beaver. And it just depends on who gave me the test. I thought, dear God. But I know one thing, I know who I am in Jesus. That's one thing that's been constant. I know that I'm a sinner saved by grace. You know, one of the great presidents of the College of the Ozarks, Dr. Monty Hugh Graham Clark, why? Only because we were friends, but when I would first come to Branson many, many years ago, he would come where I was preaching, and he would sit in the congregation. And one time in this great service, I said, Dr. Clark, stand and testify. Dr. Clark, Graham Clark stood up, put his hands here, and he said, my name is Montague Graham Clark. Listen to this testimony of a man that built College of the Ozarks. He said, I'm a sinner saved by grace, and he sat down. And I think, you know, I've heard, I've heard people that think they know theology say, well, you know, I don't use that term, a sinner saved by grace, anymore because we're still in the process. And, all. and I, you know, I think, you know, you haven't grasped the truth of the Word of God. We were sinners, every one of us born in sin. We needed a Savior, and God provided a Savior through the precious blood of Jesus Christ and gave us redemption through his sacrificial death and his resurrection sealed it and now he sits at the right hand of the Father for you and I to make intercession for us, to hear us, to answer us, to secure us and to keep us and I don't care what the 6 o'clock or the 5 o'clock or now the 4 o'clock news has to say, I know one thing, who is in control and it's Jesus Christ is in control today. He is Lord of all, King of kings, and nothing that's happening on this earth today is going to cease from him doing his perfect will. So how do you get this in your personal life? How do you get that potential? In, a, in the word of God, in the gospels, you understand there's the synoptic gospels than the gospel of John. They're all the gospels. They're just different Different gospels to different groups of people. Then you get to John, which is a universal gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When you study the gospels, occasionally, on rare occasion, you'll find a truth or a story that's in more than one of them. And so we read, and we get the different idea of what that man was talking about they don't contradict each other. It's how they saw the things that are happening. But there's one story that's incredible that's in all four of those Gospels. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I've shown John chapter 6 to be the one that I'm going to show you in the NIV today, starting with verse 1. But all four of those Gospels tell the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. How many's ever heard of that before? <clears throat> he's fed 5,000. And there's a story of Jesus feeding the 4,000, which is true. Now he's feeding the 5,000, two separate different events. In the feeding of the 5,000, in John chapter 6, verse 1, the word says... Sometime after this, Jesus crossed into a far shore of the Sea of Galilee, Tiberias. It had three different names. It's the same. Uh, we know it as Galilee primarily. He's crossed, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miracle signs that he had performed on the sick. It says, Jesus went to a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. I've been there. He taught them, and he began to preach to them. He, and in, if you read the other accounts, different things show up. He healed all the sick before he preached. They came to him, a bunch of needy people. Every word he said, they were glued on the edge of their grassy seat where they were. That was actually a little piece where there was some grass there. And if you find that in Israel, set on it because you won't see much grass there. But it was a beautiful setting. And Jesus began to teach to them. He taught. He healed the sick. And the word of God says, and they were just coming off of a hard time. Because John, John the Baptist, the one that baptized him, his second cousin, had just been beheaded. And so the disciples, and at the same time, Jesus had sent this, the 12 out to minister. He told them, go to a city. Don't take anything with you. Whatever they give you to eat, eat it. If they don't accept you, then what? But here he sent them out, and he gave them authority. And now they're all coming back together. And Jesus was there. Many people say it's Bethsaida, a little area there, kind of a rural, rural area. And all these people have come. Jesus saw this throng of people coming. And so he heals them. He teaches them. And a great crowd of people because followed him because they saw the miracle signs that he performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Passover feast was near. So we're looking at a time where it was the Passover time, of course, that Jesus was crucified and rose again. But he said the Passover feast was near. So Many theologians believe that that's why the crowd was so big because people were going on their annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem and to the areas to worship and have Passover. So it was a huge crowd. When Jesus looked and saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? Now he healed them and he had preached to them, but he realized they were hungry. I want to tell you something here. Read between the lines. This isn't adding or taking away from Scripture. But Jesus cares about your personal needs too. Believe me. You can be so religious and starved to death. He doesn't want that. He wants to take care of your needs too. Do you, do you believe that? Without getting into some foolishness that, that, that's come across religion today. 
He cares about your needs. There's some of you sitting here today, and I don't know what I'm going to do next week. I don't know what I'm going to do this month. I want to tell you something. God cares about your personal needs. And Jesus saw these people, and he asked his disciples, where should we buy bread? He asked Philip this, in fact. And he asked only to test, his, to test him. Verse 6. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. Let me, let me tell you some truth in the scripture. When God asks you to do something, don't look at it on based on what you can do. Because if you do, you're, you're, you're not going to see the glory of God. You're not going to experience it. He asked Philip, how are we going to feed these people? Now, it goes on in this true event that happened. This isn't a parable. It goes on to where he said there were 5,000 men and their wives and children. I'm Jewish. I know how Jewish families go. There were probably 20,000, they think, at least. 20,000 healed, filled, but hungry. And he said, what about the deal, Philip. And Philip goes, he's practical, very practical. He said, are you kidding me? He said, and Jesus knew what he was going to say. Philip answered him, eight months wages wouldn't even give him a bite. I mean, we couldn't even give him an hors d'oeuvre if we had 200 denarii, if we had all this money. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, Andrew was different than this. Andrew was a connector. Philip was a very practical, what? We don't have any money. There's no restaurants. There's no food. I know I'm from Bethsaida, and I know you said that because the town's right over there. But the truth is, I know this area, and there is no possible way to feed these people. So why are you even bringing it up? Just send them home. But Jesus said, no, no. I want to heal their bodies. I want to heal them spiritually, but I want to take care of their needs. What he was saying this, it's not just I want them to see all the package that I have for them. He was saying this, I want them to grow in love with me and trust in me. And we need to feed these people because right now all they can feel is hunger. They're happy, but they're hungry. So Andrew you see, Andrew's the one that introduced Jesus to Peter, Peter to Jesus. So he's a connector. And Andrew's standing over there, and here's a kid standing here with his little lunch. He's got five barley loaves and two fish. When you really study that, if you care about getting into that, I will tell you that barley was not the kind of thing you'd want. That's what poor people ate. The cost of barley was about a third what wheat cost. So if your mama made you five barley biscuits because you're probably a poor kid, give you two little pieces of fish to kind of flavor that, it wasn't too much to have in itself. But the kid didn't have it ripped out of his hands. The kid walks up and he goes, uh, he's saying, here, I'll do my part. Here's my part. You have no idea what your part can do to affect the whole part. Can you understand I'm not talking to you in cliches? I'm telling you truth. 
I'm telling you the truth with a divine angle. You cannot begin to understand what happens when God puts his touch on what you have. You have no idea. So Andrew says, here's a, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish, but how far will they go? I mean, here it is, Jesus. Jesus said, have them set down. There's plenty of grass in this place, in that place. And the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. And Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks. And he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And here's the next line. I can't see back there because it's gone, but you can. So they, listen to this. And when they had all had enough to eat. Anyone here ever have a teenage son or daughter? They can eat. They didn't say, take this little bit. There's a lot of people here. They all ate till they were full. Now look at this. They were healed. Because <clears throat> if you look at all four of these, he said he healed all that needed to be healed. <clears throat> they were healed. <clears throat> and when he says healed, he's talking about healed mind, body, and spirit. Do you know your body can be healed but your spirit broken? Do you know your body can be healed and your mind sick? Jesus is a total God. They're healed. <clears throat> now they're hearing, hearing the word of God. They get the bread of God. Now their bellies are full. <clears throat> and of course they believe he's a prophet. They see this going on and they're impressed with what's going on. He feeds them all. And when they all had enough to eat, could you eat some more? My daughter makes fun of me when we have company because if somebody's sitting at, don't you laugh at me, little girl in the front row here. She's a pastor, but she's still my daughter. <laughs> She'll say to them, just don't pay any attention to him, but he'll feed you till, and I have, till people are, but I want them to eat. These disciples said, here, eat. Eat. You want some more? Put some in your pockets. Take some in your bag. They get all done, and when they get done, there's 12 basket loads. Oh, you can get into numerology, get, and they're probably all true. 12 disciples, 12 nations of Israel, all this baloney. And it's not baloney, but there's stuff, symbolism, and it's all true. But the point is, out of five barley loaves and two fish, they have 12 baskets left over. <clears throat> because a kid used the seed he had and gave it to Jesus. Well, I don't have anything significant to do in the church. How can you say that? If you know what I'm telling you. How can you believe that? If you know what I'm telling you. If you believe the word of God. There are no seed in anyone that has the name of Jesus. That claims Christ. That's been saved. There's no seed that's insignificant. None. None. It's all, and it is many times, the catalyst for everything else that comes. Five biscuits that nobody else would probably want. But let me tell you something. When he gave it to Jesus, I'll 
I'm not supposed to say this. I'll bet you. <laughs> Pastor, I mean, I had a guy get after me one time. You're not supposed to say, I'll bet you. I went, is that all you got out of this whole message? I did say that to him. Go away. <laughs> what about those other things I said? He didn't remember that. So I'll bet you. I'll bet you those five barley loaves taste better than normal barley loaves. What do you bet? For 5,000 men and their children, and what, why? I bet they taste like a biscuit at, where's that home of the throat rose at Lambert's? Man, I bet that fish was incredible. I bet you that when they ate that, they're going, man, I've never had. Who in the world made this? Who put their touch on it? Here's what I'm going to tell you. I want you to listen. This is very important. Are you listening? If you're listening, say amen. amen. If you're watching online, if you're listening, say amen. Oh, it's always loud. You think I'm joking. I am. Here's what happened. The little boy took his lunch. I want everybody to put your hand like this. Would you just go along with me? I don't do that stuff. Just do it for me, will you? Quit your foolishness. There's your lunch. Take 20,000 people, and how much is that with 20,000? Ain't much, is it? That's your lunch. That's the seed God gave you. And we don't understand what we have. We do not understand the potential. I'm sick of messages that preach your potential to be great and famous. There's only one that's great and famous, and his name is Yeshua, Messiah, Jesus. But I'm talking about significance in your life, that at the end of your life, you can have something that you can say. I may not have been, you know, we had a great major league Jack Hamilton's with Jesus now. I don't know if Jan's here today or not, but Jack Hamilton was saved in this church, lived in this church, died and went to heaven in this place. Pitched for the, I don't know, Detroit. He pitched for New York Mets. He pitched all. He was a great baseball player. Had all these memories, but the greatest thing Jack ever did was accept Jesus. <clears throat> You're going to have something <clears throat> at the end of your life that God will bring back to you. Listen to me. <clears throat> if he takes you suddenly, <clears throat> or if you're laying on a deathbed, he's going to bring something back to you, the fruit of the seed of that little lunch, that little insignificant that you think. I mean, how many people out of 20,000 would even see the kid? <clears throat> but Andrew was a connector. Here it is, Jesus. That's his part. Or here's the truth. I want you to listen to me very, very closely. When you give your seed, when you give your little bit to Jesus, listen to this. He owns it then. You no longer own it. If you try to keep ownership of it, it'll just be a seed. It's all it'll be. But when you give your life to Christ, 
And you say, here I am in the midst of seven billion people, maybe almost eight. Who am I? What am I? And you say, here it is. When you give your seed to Jesus, he owns it. It's no longer yours if you want him to use you. That little boy couldn't say, hey, look at it, hold it, touch it, and I want it back. He didn't say, what's in it for me? He didn't say, hey, is this going to make me famous? He didn't say, am I doing something that's so supernatural that in the 21st century some preacher's Across the United States on this Sunday morning, she's going to be preaching about me. They don't even know my name. He didn't do any of that. He said, here, Andrew took it, and he gave it to Jesus. And his lunch now became the property of God. I'm going to tell you this. If God ever spoke to me to tell you anything in my 20 years plus here, that when you give yourself to Jesus, he owns you. And you want him to. You want to do it on your own? You want to do it your way? You can. But your seed will never root. You want to stand on some foolish doctrine or some ideology you heard from someone or the word of God. If you stand on the word of God and trust him, you don't have to wonder What's in it for me? Do I get a return from this? How many times of a blessing am I going to get? There's something that begins to happen in the kingdom of God who someone does when they do this, when they take, take their little thing, that lunch you were holding, when they take it and hand it to God, something divine starts happening that you don't have any control over. He begins to use the method and the glory of, of the um, uh, multiple multiples of God and he will take your little bit and he will begin to feed the many out of what you but he's got to own it it's no longer yours as long as you own it you'll be frustrated with the results I'm not doing enough I'm not big enough I don't as long as you own it you'll be trying to figure out how to do it when he asked Philip, when he asked Andrew, he said, I was testing them because I knew what I was going to do. He was going, listen to me, Jesus was going to feed all 20,000. He was just looking for someone to give him the seed. And it was a boy. I've told you this. God gave me this revelation but when David went to the camp to see his brothers, God sent him there, he thinking, feeding them with gifts from Jesse. Forty days they'd been listening to Goliath on the other side of the valley of Ephraim there, and he would line up and scream curses. And that morning this kid comes up about 14 years old, and he stops, and he didn't care if they called, your mother wears bloomers, whatever. He didn't care about all that stuff. But when he said this, your God is not God, my God is the Philistines' God, and we'll conquer. When he said that, David's ears went, whoa, whoa, what? Just a second. 
Hold it. You can talk about my brothers. You can talk about me. I'm going to tell you something, my friends. Listen, have you ever heard that scripture, touch not mine anointed? There's a lot of preachers today that walk around like this. Better keep your hands off me. God will strike. That is not what that means. If you're a pastor or a preacher in the gospel today, you've been beat up, chewed up, and spit out. And if you haven't, you haven't been in the ministry. And you've took it and still loved. You've been talked about. You've been betrayed. All, and, and you know what? Nobody that I know God struck with lightning. Now, I asked him to several times, but he didn't do it. <laughs> Wouldn't do it. But when someone touches the church, oh, my God. And I say this in warning, and I say it in all, I'm, I'm, I got goosebumps right now. When someone touches, tries to destroy the church, God's church, that's touching the anointed. And that's a fearful place to be in. Tries to cause destruction. Tries to destroy it. Tries to hurt it and harm it. That's a place where I pray to God I don't ever lose my mind and get to that point. Criticism is a very dangerous thing. And he was criticizing Jehovah God. And David heard it, and he goes to Saul, who's this much taller. He says he's a foot and a half taller than anybody else in Israel. Here's this guy with all this handmade armament. And David takes him his gift, and he goes, what this, what's the meaning, and what's going on here? And so for 40 days we've been lining up here, two, 300,000 on that side, and then Big boy stands in the middle. The big mouth. I'm tired of the voice of the enemy. And he goes to Saul. And Saul says, well, I don't know what to do. I'm going to tell you something the Holy Spirit showed me that I've never read or heard anyplace else. And if I'm wrong, God will correct me, but I believe it with all my heart. I believe with everything in me that Saul was anointed to be the king of Israel, even though it was the people's choice. And I understand the anointing he had, but his failure was disobedience. I believe with all my heart that Goliath was Saul's giant. And if Saul had been in the power and the presence of God, he would have gone and faced Goliath. And he would have destroyed Goliath and become the great king of Israel. But he didn't. You see, his seed he kept control of by disobedience. So a 14-year-old kid comes, and he goes, I'll go. What can a 14-year-old kid, what can a kid with a sack lunch do? Give it to God. Now God owns it. Give your, what you have given, God's given you, give it to God. I don't know what I've got. Ask him. God, whatever you, gift you've given me, I give it to you. It might still be wrapped up. You might not even have discovered it yet. I don't care how old you are, how young you are. You want to unwrap it, give it to him. So David goes out, and he says, you come against me with a voice of a Philistine. If you'll notice, David never, ever called Goliath, Goliath. He called him, you uncircumcised Philistine. And I've taught you this for years. He said that because of this reason. Circumcision was a covenant between God and the people of God and no one else. And he said, Goliath, 
you are da- or, uh, Goliath, when he was screaming to Goliath, he said, you're an uncertain. He said, you're out of covenant with God. And I will not listen to any voice that's outside of a covenant with God. That means any voice of the enemy that comes to you, you can't, you shouldn't, it won't make sense, you got enough, you don't need any more apathy, whatever it is that comes to you, that's a voice of the enemy, and I will not respect the voice of something that's out of covenant with God, nor would David. And David said, I'll go. And he starts running. He gets the five smooth stones. What's really interesting about, I wasn't going to talk about them, but let me tell you, those five smooth stones were very significant in the fact that they had troops of people that would travel with the armies that would get stones out of brooks and they would sharpen the edge of the stones like the Indians do arrowheads or arrowheads and they would sharpen them and then sell them to the, to the soldiers because if they could just inflict a wound with those sharp-edged stones, it would cause infection, and if it didn't kill them right off, it would kill them eventually. He picked five smooth stones that hadn't been touched by the hand of man. They didn't have man's anointing. They were all God, and he comes running toward him. You come against me with a sword and a spear, but I come against you in the power of the name of Jehovah God. Wham! And he hits him because the seed of David was given to God at his anointing, and he hadn't moved from it, and God honored that seed, and he destroyed a giant and made him the king of Israel. Not only that, when he did that, that kid... 300,000 or 400 or 500,000 soldiers from Israel went, if that kid can do it, I can do it. And the anointing began to spread. The anointing is contagious, my friend. And, it ran, and they all started running in the same anointing that David had. They all gave their seed to Jehovah God. They gave their all. I'm willing to go fight the enemy I see what happens when I give myself to you. Listen to me this morning. Please listen to me. Listen to me online. God gave me this word for you. He gave me this word for you today to understand that what he has given you and the seed he has given you, the power he has given you is from him and him alone. And if you'll give it back to him, he will do what he wants to do with it. And it will be exponentially more than you can even comprehend. But you've got to give him your seed. Stand to your feet.